Thank you, Ms. Sherry. Amen. He is the reason. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 12 this morning. Exodus chapter 12. And we're going to resume our series through the Gospel Project. We'll be back in the Gospel Project this morning. And this is our second unit. And in the second unit, our, our main idea in going through um, the book of Exodus and starting back into Exodus, our main idea is that God delivers. God delivers. And this morning in our Bible study, we, uh, we looked at a very important section in this uh, called the Passover. And the time in which the children of Israel were delivered from slavery and delivered under the hand of the pharaohs. And this morning I want to focus in on one aspect of it. There's, there's so much in that whole section. We could do a whole series on the Passover and the meaning of the Passover. But this morning I, I want to focus in on a bigger picture here that's going on and what we learn of the judgment of God. So we live, I think this is important because we live in a time in which judgment is not something we like to talk about, the judgment of God or the wrath of God or, or that, that really we don't like to talk about accountability in general. We don't like to be held accountable we don't want anyone else to tell us what to do. We don't want people to be the boss of us, no matter you know, where we are on the spectrum of things. And culturally, we, we don't like to talk about the judgment of God. This, in in uh, Mark's favorite hymn that we sang this morning, In Christ Alone, he just give you a, a point written by Keith and Kristen Geddes, modern songwriters, hymn writers for the church. It's like hymns aren't dead. We're still writing hymns. We just have to write good hymns. Okay, this is it's one of my favorites as well. We could sing it every Sunday, Mark. Honestly, um, love it. Great theology in there. Just uh, just this last year, too, uh, another mainline denomination. It was, and I'm not going to pick on anybody, but another mainline Protestant denomination in our country. Um, they were redoing their hymnal. And they wanted to put this song, they wanted to put in Christ Alone in there because it's one of the most popular hymns right now. And I mean, and people aren't writing hymns, so you, you've got new hymns and it's a good one. They wanted to put it in there. And they got to that line that said, uh, it goes something like, and Mark and I were talking about this, it, the line goes something like, till on that cross where Jesus died, what's the next part? The wrath of God was satisfied. That is a beautiful line that's rich in theology. It's based on Scripture that says that Christ's death was the propitiation of our sins, meaning it satisfied God's wrath on sin when Jesus died on the cross. Well, this mainline, the editors of this mainline denominational hymnal said, we love this song, but we don't like that line. And so they contacted the Gettys and said, we, we so want to put this in our hymnal and put it in thousands of hymnals across the country. But we don't like the wrath of God. We don't like to talk about the judgment of God or the wrath of God. We'd like to change that till on the cross where Jesus died, the love of God personified or magnified or something, just kind of really just kind of smooth it out. And, you know, they... It didn't take them long. They said, no, we wrote it in there for a reason, and that's key, and we're not changing it. 
They could be Southern, they're not Southern Baptists, but I believe the Gettys, when they get to heaven, they'll be Southern Baptists. I really do believe. They just haven't gotten there yet. Um, but I'm telling you what, there's a reason. It, it just shows you, man, uh, we, we sing this hymn all the time, and that only makes it fuller because it's true. And yet it shows even people who claim to be Christians don't like to talk about the judgment of God or focus that God actually hates sin and there's, He is going to punish sin. That's part of His character. And we talk about um, God is holy and righteous. At the same time, God is loving. And in, some people can't hold those two together. They have to say, well, either God is completely righteous or He's completely loving. He can't be both. A loving God would never send people to hell. A loving God would never do this if He's... You know, and we, we talked about the, uh, uh, the other week, we talked about God being love. The most loving thing God can do is punish sin. He can't contradict His own character. He can't, he can't let injustice happen. He, he can't do that. I mean, imagine, I mean, imagine if you were, your house was broken into and we caught the person who did it and they stood before the judge and the judge says, well, we caught you dead to rights and you're guilty, but I'm loving guy, so I'm going to let you go. Every time. Never, there was never any punishment for sin. Would that be fair? Would that be a righteous judge? Now we, we would say no. And that's the paradox of Christianity because of the paradox of Christianity, God Himself took our punishment that each one of us owes. He took that. And that's the, that's the picture of the, of the Passover. There must be a sacrifice for sin. Well, what does, what does the Bible tell us about the judgment of God? And I think there's, there's some things, there's some clues that we see even here in this section in Exodus on the Passover that point to God's character and what the judgment of God is and, and what it means. And we're going to tie in some other passages from the New Testament to help us, help us illuminate this this morning. Um, but um, Exodus chapter 12, I asked you to turn and I didn't turn there. So Exodus chapter 12, and we're going to read this, uh, read this passage. The 10th plague, God had given the 10th uh, plague on the Egyptians... And we're going to focus in on this section that then describes the plague playing out. In verse 29, it says, At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. After Pharaoh rose up in the middle of the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians and and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone, and bless me also. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you are our rock and you are true and you are sure. Lord, I pray that you would help us to understand uh, the 
ideas about your character and your righteous judgment, Lord, that you will carry out. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The judgment of God. I believe there's a few things this passage teaches us. Number one, we can know that God's judgment is sure. God's judgment is sure. In verse 29, it says, At midnight the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne, to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. Did God just decide to do that out of just, he just woke up that day and said, okay, I'm going to kill all these people. I'm going to execute this major judgment. No, he had told them he was going to do it. In chapter 11, he came to Moses and he, he tells Moses, he said, okay, we've done nine plagues, turned the Nile to blood. We've infected it with, with uh, flies and boils, hailstorms, all kinds of things. They kept getting worse and worse and worse. And God says, finally, okay, tenth plague, this is going to be the climax. After this plague, Pharaoh's going to let you go. And then he goes and he tells Moses, tell Pharaoh, I'm going to take the firstborn. God kept his word. He said, I'm going to bring judgment, and he did. That's a true principle. God always keeps his word. There's nothing that God says, you know, we say things, we make promises, and we say, okay, I'm going to do this, or I'm going to be there. But then what? Life happens. Sometimes we can't get there. Sometimes we can't get to every ball game. Sometimes we can't make every appointment. Sometimes, you know, sometimes there actually is traffic on Hasty Road between Hasty Road and, um, you know, McRae Road. Sometimes. It actually does get backed up there. I mean, sometimes, as much as we... We want to and we desire to. We can't, we don't all, we're fallible. We don't always make it. Not so with God. God always keeps his word on the good things and also on the difficult things. When it comes to his judgment, he pronounced judgment on the Egyptians and he said, I will carry it out. And here we see he kept his word. We have a saying in our time that justice delayed is what? Y'all know this one? Justice delayed is justice, somebody said it, denied. Yeah, we live in an imperfect world, even America, the Republic, the Democratic Republic, the, you know, bastion, light of the world, whatever you want to call us, and yet our justice system sometimes doesn't, sometimes it fails, sometimes justice isn't served. Sometimes uh, sometimes we don't get the right to a hasty trial. Our world says, well, if, if justice doesn't occur swiftly, then it's the same as if no justice happens at all. And, you know, one of, one of the things in, in, our, in our land that I was reminded of this week, saw the report, several of those responsible for the attacks on 9-11 for over 14 years later, are still awaiting trial. Did you know that? For over 14 years later. There, there are people in 14 years, there are people that survived the attack in New York 
that have died. They did not get to see justice done. There are first responders that died. Did not get to see justice done. Family members and victims that have died. Did not get to see justice done. Our world says, well, justice delayed. It's just kind of playing a clock game that justice has been denied. But I would tell you, not so with the Lord. Because God doesn't work on our timetable when it comes to His bringing His judgment or bringing justice. We want, we want judgment now and immediate when we've been wronged. I mean, we want it yesterday. God's timetable is not ours. Sometimes He delays His judgment. When Abraham... When Abraham uh, followed God into the promised land, and, and Abraham was, was in the promised land, and God told him, I'm, I'm going to give you all of this land. But really, I'm going to give it to your descendants. You're not, you're not going to live to see it. All that Abraham ever owned in the promised land was what? The grave, that's all he ever owned, was the family plot. And yet God told him why. God actually told Abraham the whole story. I mean, the whole story. He said, look, the iniquity of the Canaanites is not yet complete. And those wicked pagans that were living in the promised land, even then God said, okay, they deserve judgment but not yet. 430 years later, when the Israelites come out of Egypt, God says, okay, now it's time. We haven't gotten to this point yet, but the conquest, the Israel's conquest of Canaan, inheriting the promised land, that was part of God's judgment upon the Canaanite people who for 400 years, after Abraham, had turned their nose against God and continued in paganism, continued slaughtering children and infanticide and all kinds of, all kinds of evil. Even in the days of Noah, God... With Adam and Eve, God could have started completely over, and yet he, he, he stayed His hand of judgment. Yet with Noah, there was a time in which God said, Okay, the time has come. And God sent a worldwide flood that judged the whole world, spared just one man and his family. In all of those cases, God had promised His judgment was coming. It wasn't coming on my timetable or your timetable or Abraham's timetable or Noah's timetable. It came on God's timetable. And even if people had forgotten His word, God kept His word. Scripture speaks not just of God's judgment. There's like 
the little j and then there's the big j. Little j judgment is there's ways in which Scripture teaches we reap what we sow. We sow to sin, we will we'll reap a whirlwind. I mean, there, there are things that, that are actions and there are consequences to our actions. And in this life, we do face parts of judgment for our actions. That's part of God's immutable laws of the universe. Yet he's also, there's a, there's a big J judgment coming. Scripture teaches a singular day of judgment, a final judgment that's going to come. Acts 17, verses 30 through 31 says, Now God now commands all men everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, Jesus, And of this, he has given assurance to all men by raising him from the dead. Now now think about this. God's judgment is sure. He has told us his judgment is coming. And yet, I know this is, we're on Christmas break right now. And... um, uh, I think that they, they still do exams. You all have exams when you go back. Is that right? Yep. We've got, our kids are like, as soon as school gets back in, the very first thing we got to do, exams. You know they're coming at the beginning of the school year. The teacher, you got a syllabus, you have a school calendar. This is it. It's, it's marked out well in advance. In fact, they probably planned it two years ago your exam day, right? It's coming. And yet, I, I don't want to speak to our students. I just know how I acted when I was in school. When it came to Christmas break, there were many times I acted as if final exams were never coming. I was just, I was just so happy to get a break, to not have to go to, not have to, go to class, not have to sit through something. Just, just give, me, get, give me a break. And yet, all of a sudden, the night before final exams, Everyone, be, everyone who had lived all of break thinking, exams will never come. Break will last forever. I have all the time in the world to write this paper or read 1,500 pages or do whatever I've got to do to turn in at the end. It will never, I have plenty of time, it will never come. And all of a sudden, the night before, we all become believers. We're sweating, we're staying up at night, we're trying to cram every little piece in that we can... Possibly, we've got duct tape all over our heads and none of it leaks out, you know? Some of y'all are laughing like, you know what I'm talking about, yeah? God has told us something far more serious than any final exam is coming. And that's the final judgment. And we can pretend like it's not going to happen, we can pretend like it's never going to come, but trust me in this... What God says, He will bring to pass. Because God always keeps His word. So if we know that God's judgment is coming, should that not change how we live in the present? If we knew it was coming, if we know it's coming, what does that mean we should be doing right now? 
It means we should be getting ready. It means we should be prepared to face this final judgment. It means we should be doing everything we can to be ready. It means we should be doing everything we can to make sure our our loved ones and our friends and our neighbors are ready and prepared. Because trust me, it's coming. And what we also find out from here, number two, is that God's judgment will surprise many people. Now think about this. Now, you know, um, Pharaoh heard God's, the pronouncement of God's judgment through Moses, God's prophet, God's spokesperson. God transmitted his will. There was no question that Pharaoh had advance warning on this plague, this judgment that was to come. And yet, and yet Pharaoh gets up in the middle of the night surprised that it actually happened. The same God who had told Pharaoh what he was going to do over and over and over again, plague one, plague two, plague three, plague four, all the way through. And every time he kept his word. We see a man, not unlike us, who acted surprised that the day of judgment actually came for him. You see, there was a few things going on here. I, I think maybe we kind of deal with this too sometimes. I don't know. Maybe I do. Maybe I'm the only one. Sometimes we think God's judgment is never going to happen. It's not ever going to come. You ever think that? You ever worry about that? You ever wonder that? Pharaoh didn't think it was ever going to come, and yet it did. Sometimes we, we think, well, maybe it's going to come, but it's not going to come for me. God's judgment is for everyone else. God's judgment is for bad people. Do you know what the Scripture says about us? It says, there is no one righteous. No, not one. I'm not going to make you raise your hand, but if I were to say, if you're righteous in this room, if you raise your hand, you can put your hand down. None of us are righteous. It should come... It's no surprise to any of us that all of us face the judgment of God. And yet, I, I mean, I, I could be wrong, but I, I believe this. Were Christ to return today in the middle of the sermon, it would catch so many Bible-believing Christians off guard, they'd be shocked. Well, no, not today, Lord. Like, next year or 10 years from now or 15 or 20 or 100 years from now or next millennium or something. Not today. Yet, guess what, guys? 
It could be today. And yet, I think just as many Christians will be shocked as pagans. I think when the day of judgment finally comes. There will be, there will be many... There will be many who profess Christ as Lord. But on the day of judgment find out they did not possess Christ as Lord. That, to me, is the scariest thing I can ever imagine. That is something that as a pastor and as a minister of the gospel, it scares me to my core that I'm, I come into contact with so many people that think they are saved. Yet they have absolutely no evidence of Christ in them at all in their life. You would never know. That scares me. I think there will be many that find out on the day of judgment. I don't know what they have, I don't know what they had faith in, but they did not have faith in Christ as their Lord and Savior. And it will be a shock. And it will be a surprise. Do we have to be surprised that judgment is coming? No, because God has told us. He's told us in His Word over and over and over again. He's told us in His, His Word here. Uh, I want you to turn with me. I want, to, I want to look at two New Testament passages briefly here that you need to look at when we talk about the day of the Lord. Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24 comes in the context of... Uh, if, you, if you study Matthew's Gospel, John, John zeroed in on the signs of Jesus and the miracles that he did we, as we taught through John that pointed to his, him being the Messiah. Matthew focused on Jesus' teaching. So G, Matthew really focused on, we call them the, the discourses, the sermons. This is the Olivet Discourse, which means on the Mount of Olives, right before Jesus went to the cross, the disciples asked Jesus, is basically, is now the end of time or is that going to come later? And so Matthew 24 and 25, this section, this is where Jesus answers his disciples the question about the end times and the day of the Lord. And this section right in here I want to read to you. Uh, Look down in verse 36. Matthew 24, verse 36. He says, But concerning that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. That showed you how, how surprised the people were in the days of Noah. They were, they were still getting married the day before the flood. When in Noah we know 
was not just, um, Hebrews tells us, Noah, Noah was a preacher of righteousness. He was not just, he got this secret word from God that there was going to be a worldwide flood and he kept it to himself and it was just for him and his family. I, I believe even as he was building that ark, and the, I mean, it's taking us a long time to build this building. Imagine we had to build an ark, how long it would take us. And as he's building that ark, I believe he's, he was giving the opportunity for people to repent and believe. And what, what were people doing? Scoffing, saying, it's never going to come. The judgment's never... You're crazy, Noah. It's never going to come. Does that sound familiar? That sounds a lot like our day. It's never going to come. We, get, we can do whatever we want. Verse 40. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. Therefore, this is Jesus telling His disciples, Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Thousands of years later, after God performed the Passover, Jesus Christ echoed again, the day is coming, and it's going to come when you least expect it. So be ready. Church, we must be ready because this passage also teaches us, number three, that God's judgment is severe. God's judgment is severe. Here, this particular judgment, you know, in a way, this judgment foreshadows the judgment that comes. And there's pictures all throughout the Passover. It's pointing to sin, judgment, redemption, all of these themes that God is laying out, pointing, trying to, trying to tell the Israelites, trying to tell the people of sin and grace. And the punishment for sin is severe. Up to this point, they had lost things. They had lost livestock. They had lost um, all kinds of, uh, of parts to their livelihood. They, they had lost part of their health and dealing with the boils and different, different of the plagues. It, it had been an annoyance. But up to at this point in the plagues, now they're losing life. Blood is being shed. And God was re God required the firstborn. He took the firstborn in every household, even down to the livestock, all the way from the, from the top, Pharaoh, the son of Pharaoh, the one who one day would have ruled in his place. His life was taken all the way down to the lowliest servant and to the livestock. God's judgment is severe. When we get to the New Testament and we see the day of final judgment, 
it is going to be severe. I'm just going to read, uh, or read a couple of these to you. Matthew chapter 25, verse 30. Jesus speaks to this, and he says, and, and cast the worthless servant into the... Here's how he describes, uh, he describes hell here. The outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And down in verse 41, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And in Mark 9, speaking on this, Jesus says, and if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off, for it is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go into hell to the un." Quenchable fire. There's a, few, there's a few things about this judgment. Number one, at, at this judgment, there's no going back. When the day of the Lord comes, there will, no, there will be no chance to say, oh, okay, I believe in you now. We will stand and face the judgment. The judgment will be severe. It will be eternal. It's kind of, this is the teaching of the New Testament here, the teaching of Jesus. It's not like you're going to get 20 years to life or two life sentences and you really get out early on good behavior. It's forever. It's not just forever, it's conscious. We're going to be aware of what's happening to us. And it's called a place, hell is called a place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's also called a place where the worm does not die and the fire never goes out. In this life, we, I mean, we, we face all kinds of things in this life that are bad, painful. And sometimes we think, well, man, I'll just, um, I'll just, I, I just want to get away from the pain. So we medicate ourselves, we medicate ourselves with drugs or alcohol or we find other things. Sometimes, sometimes people get pushed to the point and say, okay, the, the only way out is for me to just take myself out of this life. There are infinitely worse things awaiting on the other side in which there is no escape. There, there is nothing. Jesus tells the parable in Luke of the rich man and Lazarus. And the rich man had everything. He had servants. He lived in the gated community. His servants had servants. 
and Lazarus would sit. He was a beggar and he was lame. He'd sit and he would beg and the rich man would see him pass by him every day. And one day the rich man died. He went to hell. One day Lazarus died. He went, he went to paradise. Called Abraham's bosom. That's where the Old Testament saints went awaiting for Christ to die on the cross and take them on to heaven. The rich man opens his eyes and he opens his eyes in hell and in torment. And he can look across something like the Grand Canyon. And on the other side, he can see Abraham and he can see Lazarus. He's conscious and he can see them, but he can't get to them. And he calls out to he, he calls out for relief because he is in torment. And he goes so far as to say, please send Lazarus just to can can you just dip your finger in the water and just put it on my tongue just for an instant, for just a moment I can get some kind of relief, even though it'll just be fleeting. And unfortunately. Because of the divide, there was no way for one to go to the other. And Lazarus says, well, please, can, can I go back and tell my, my brothers so they won't come here? What does Abraham say in the parable? Even if someone rose from the dead, they still would not believe. That makes the hair on my arms just stand up. Because somebody did rise from the dead. And yet there will be many that even with one who rose from the dead will still not believe. I'm telling you, hell is not a party. It's not a place to go to raise the dead. It is an eternal place of conscious, conscious torment. It's an illustration of this. We see this in our own world. Hurricane's coming. It's category five. I don't care where, if it's South Carolina, if it's Alabama, every time, we haven't had a big hurricane in a while, but every time there's a hurricane, there's some crazy people on a barrier island who do what? We're going to have a hurricane party. We're going to ride this thing out. We're going to clear out the liquor store. And, you know, we're just going to party through that. Every time the hurricane's coming, you need to evacuate. You need to leave. There's always people who stay. And two a one, I have never heard I, you always hear what? I will never ride that out again. The ones who stay the latest and the longest to the point of no return and they can't leave and they're stuck, always say what? I will never do that again. The testimony of people who have gone through hurricanes to say, 
You are crazy to go through this. And guess what? Every time, what do people decide to do? It's not going to happen to me. It's not going to be bad for me. I'm telling you, God's judgment is just as sure, it's just as strong, it's just as severe. And it's more severe than you and I can, can ever think or imagine. But through it all, even though the Israelites, now don't miss this, the Israelites faced the same judgment. Right? They faced God coming and taking their firstborn too. Except for what? There is a way. There is a way that we can be spared from God's judgment. There's only one way. And just as the Israelites, God was so beautiful in how he, he did this. He, he told them to take a perfect lamb, spotless, and sacrifice that lamb at twilight, and put the blood on the doors of their home. And when the Lord, when God came through, he would, when He saw the blood... He would keep the destroyer, His destroying agent of judgment from entering that home. God Himself would stand in the way and say, No, this debt has been paid. This home is forgiven because of the sacrifice. And the Israelites, every year were to take a lamb and slit its neck and take the blood and put it on the door year after year after year. By the time that Jesus is here and He's preaching and they're observing Passover, they've been observing, the Israelites have been observing Passover for thousands of years. Each and every year, over and over. All the blood that was spilt and yet Christ comes. The Lamb of God. The Israelites had slaughtered millions of animals over the millennium until God came in the flesh. His sacrifice was once, Hebrews tells us, once for all. It was sufficient for all who would believe. And He doesn't call us to go out and all go down to the McCaskill farm and get us a lamb or wherever you get lambs from the lamb store. And He doesn't call us to go and slaughter a lamb anymore and go home into our houses and paint blood. Why? Because Jesus. He shed His blood. We no longer have to shed the blood of animals because that was all, and all that was was they were, they were slaughtering those animals in faith 
looking ahead to the Messiah who was to come, who would put an end to all of that. And he came and he did. So now we no longer put the blood on the, on the doors of our houses. We take and receive the blood of Christ into our hearts. We don't paint him on, on the outside. We receive his blood into our hearts to wash us and cleanse us. And now, if you don't merely profess Christ, but you possess Him, when He returns at the second coming, when the trump sounds and He descends, and all of a sudden, judgment is coming. The day of reckoning is here. He stands in front of us who believe and says, no, not that one. He is mine. She is mine. She is forgiven. Her debt has been paid. Why? Because He says, I paid His debt on the cross. That should make a Baptist shout. Church, God's judgment is coming. And I don't know, I don't know if it's this year or next year. I don't know when it is because the Bible tells us no no man knows. No one knows except the Father. But I know it could be today. And I know all the things we have just a few more days left this year. And 2015 will be in the books. We'll start a new one. And there's all kinds of things we have to do at the end of the year to prepare for the next year. All kinds of things that happened and things change and all of that. There's all kinds of things that we maybe if we take time to take stock and say, okay, I, I want to I do things a little bit different next year. I don't want to make some of the same mistakes. or you know, I want to take some things up in a different area, my finances or man with the Lord or um, with my family or, or at work. I, I want to do some things different. I want to start over. I need a clean slate. Who needs a clean slate? Start over. Who needs one? Yes, I see that hand. Amen. There is one thing that is more important than anything else. And that, that is making sure that before the Lord, you are ready. That you have placed your faith and trust in Him. Until you do that, nothing else matters. May today be the day, and this be the year, that you settle in your heart where you are before the Lord. You say, Lord, I stand under your judgment. If you were to come back today, I will split hell wide open. I need you. I need your forgiveness. I need your healing. I need your grace. Let's stand together. Because, dear Lord, we, we come before you. We come to this time of, of invitation, this time of response. Lord, will we just simply say, Lord, we confess to you that we are sinners. And that we need you. And 
if there's someone here today, Lord, that doesn't know for sure if you were to come back, if today would be the day of salvation or the day of judgment. Lord, I pray that today in this moment would be that time in which we make sure. It's just as simple as before the Lord, humbling yourself and praying something like this, Dear Lord, I, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that you, you died and rose again so that I might be forgiven. Today, Lord, I humble myself before you and I want you to come in and take complete control of my life. To be my Lord, my Master, and my Savior. That's it. It's that simple. It's that easy. And right now, I just want to ask, if you, if you prayed that prayer right now for the first time in your heart a minute, would you just slip up your hand? Amen. Amen. With that said, I'm going to assume that everyone else in this room is ready. You've, only you can know that between you and the Lord. I can't see your heart. Only He can. But if you are ready, if you are sure, if you are saying, preach on preacher, I'm ready for Him to come back today, here's our challenge. Lord, help us to be ready and to help as many people get ready as possible. Lord, in my family, Lord, in my neighborhood, Lord, in my workplace, Lord, in my sphere of influence, people you divinely put in front of my path. I, Lord, help us to follow hard after you and to point as many people to you and the time that we have left. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This altar is open. If you'd like to pray or respond to this invitation, be happy to pray with you or lead you and let you know how you can be sure that you will be spared on the day of judgment.